0: church podcast we hope you enjoy this message and for more information please visit us on the web at onechurch.net good morning friends good morning one church so excited just to be able to share with you some of the things that the lord has been showing me during this season and before we get started why don't we just take a quick moment and pray and invite god into our homes Lord, we just thank you for today. We just really invite you into each one of our homes and into our hearts. Lord, let this message speak into us. Lord God, let our spiritual ears be open and our eyes be open to what it is you want to say and what it is you want to do. Lord, help me to be able to to deliver the message well. Lord God, to communicate well and that my mouth would be open. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you come into our midst right now. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are halfway through the year. And as many of you know, halfway point can oftentimes be a place of struggle. Uh, this year probably didn't look doesn't look like what most of us expected it to look like. Maybe some of those uh, New Year's resolutions or things that we had been planning on doing. I know my wife and I had planned on doing some traveling this year, and that's been postponed. And so some of those things that maybe we set off to do. Um, we're not able to do or you know those things are postponed or on hold and uh, as many of you know the middle time the middle part of anything can be difficult holding on to that promise holding on to that word believing for those things that God has given you and earlier a few weeks ago I was actually reminded of a, a kind of a cool funny story from from my college days a friend and I had set off to do this long trail and we were gonna we had decided to do it in a single day and I remember about halfway down the trail, we realized we had taken a wrong turn actually and gone off track. And that was like such a discouraging moment for us because we were so tired. We'd been pushing and fighting to do this and to, to think, man, we've made a wrong turn or we've gone down a wrong path. At that point, we just felt so discouraged and wanted to give up. Ultimately, we ended up finishing the trail, but that discouragement was very real in the moment. And if you're in the middle of problems in life or the middle of things and you're going through stuff right now, I just want to encourage you that God is fighting for you, that he is on your side and that he wants to do something new in this season, even though it may feel like a discouraging point or things are just different or things are new or not what you expected to be. And today I want to talk a little bit about David's life and David knew all about the middle stage of life. It was actually probably 20 years from the time that he was anointed king. To actually becoming king over israel and so he knew about caves he knew about depression discouragement anxiety all of those things were real to david and today i want to just talk about some principles for fighting discouragement when you are faced with adversity so if you have your bibles you can turn in to first samuel 17 but before we start reading i want to kind of set the set the stage for what's happening in david's life and right now this story It's probably one of the more prominent stories in Old Testament. It it is the story of David and Goliath. And David and Goliath, that story has been used in so many different ways, so many different situations in pop culture and music. We've all heard, or probably most of us have heard the story of David and Goliath. But there's probably some backstory to some of these elements that maybe you don't know. So I just want to share with you some fun facts and kind of set the stage for um, David and as he enters the story. So, Israel was going up against a group of people called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines had been in the land of Canaan, in the Promised Land, for a long time. They were well known for their blacksmithing, working with weapons. In a sense, they were battle-hardened, ready to go, people ready for warfare. They knew warfare for a long time, but Israel was fairly unequipped. Even though they had fought some battles, um, they really didn't have a lot of resources. They were composed mostly of farmhands and nomads, sheep herders, shepherds. So it's really kind of, in a sense, the entire story is a story of David and Goliath. You have a group of people that are ready for warfare and another group of people that are a little bit unequipped. Now, Philistines draw up lines against Israel and they send out their best warrior. And that's Goliath from the city of Gath. And Goliath stood 9 foot 9 inches tall. And actually, if we kind of uh, compare his weight to an NFL defensive end modern day, um, his his size would probably produce or be a person that's somewhere between 468 to 511 pounds. He had armor that weighed 126 pounds, that's like carrying a 126 pound person around with you all the time. Uh, he had a sword, a javelin, and a spear, and his spear tip alone weighed 15 pounds and he had been fighting since his very youth. And why am I telling you all this? Well really because oftentimes when we face adversity i believe that we allow the size of the problem to dictate god's competence and even though the city of gath for them represented years of fair, uh, really a failure uh israel israel was never really able to step into that promise that that had been given to them Goliath represented years of basically israel like internalizing and looking at themselves their own abilities and uh, even though they experienced years of defeat it didn't change god's promise for them it doesn't change god's promise for you and i and maybe today as you're watching you're feeling like israel just kind of stuck in the middle season of life really approached by this antagonistic spirit that is bringing discouragement as you continue to step out and believe for what god has for you maybe it's just been years of failure or struggles or attempts to do what's right but Uh, You feel just really cut off from that life of victory that God has promised you. Or maybe you've been evaluating yourself and you just feel like, man, I'm just really not good enough. I don't have what it takes. I don't have all of the equipment. I don't have all of this stuff. But let me tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. And as we look at David's life, we're going to see some principles that I believe bring some revelation into who God chooses to use throughout history to kind of display his story and his love for humanity. And I just want to say that the magnitude of the problem really doesn't change the power of God's promise in you and I. And, you know, one thing, uh, you know, probably one of the greatest stories about God's word or God's promise is this. Uh, In the beginning, when God created the earth, he created Adam and Eve. And in the garden, he said to them, you know, if you eat of this fruit, if you sin, you shall die. That was a word that was given by God. It was unbreakable. And so, they ended up sinning, and you and I also ended up sinning. We were we were born into sin, but God so loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place. That's the power of God's word, that there had to be death. So he chose to die for us. It's one of the greatest stories. Really, it encapsulates the, the essence of God's word and the power of his promise. So we know that God's word is final. Um, and David really lived this out, and we're going to see that in this story as we look at him and David, or him and Goliath. So let's start reading in 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 40. And it says this, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go out and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, your servant struck down both lion and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor and he put his helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped on his sword over his armor and he tried to go in vain for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. So who is David? Well, David really is a nobody in this moment. He's just a shepherd boy from the house of Jesse. He actually had seven older brothers and he was given the dirty, lonely job of taking care of the stinky old sheep out in the field. And even when the priest Samuel came to anoint one of the brothers or one of the sons of Jesse as the next king of Israel, they didn't even call him out of the field to be one of the potential candidates. And how many of you know that's probably pretty bad when your own family doesn't even believe in you. And so the biggest thing really going for David was actually that, It wasn't his size, it wasn't his age or knowledge. It was really that his heart after God. It was that he had a heart after God. And today, if you're feeling disqualified on any level or every level, I just wanna say that time and time again, God in the word of God shows us that God is looking for unqualified people to share his story of love to humanity. And if there's really one qualification, if there's one thing that's important, it's to have a heart after God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But many of you know that in that process of loving God, in that process of life, there's often these points of discouragement, of pain, of agony, of things that we go through that aren't necessarily in our control. And even Jesus felt pain. He felt the agony of life too, it's a real thing. So what I wanted to do today is just kind of look at this passage of scripture that that we just read and kind of break down some things in David's life that I think God had been working on long before he ever got to the battlefield. So I want to give us five stones for fighting discouragement today. Number one is willingness. Willingness to be used however God leads. You know, Jesus lived this. Willingness really means surrender. And Jesus had fully defeated the enemy of death when he went to the cross because he was fully submitted to God. Right before he went to the cross, he said, Lord, it's not my will, but your will. Basically, basically he's saying, Lord, there's some tough stuff. There's some hard stuff. I don't necessarily want to go through this, but Lord, whatever it is you say, I will do. Whatever your will is for my life, I submit to you. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 says this. Submit yourselves to God and the devil will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, because when, when we're fully submitted to God, there's really no room for our own will to have its way. That's what, that's what makes the difference. Why would the devil flee? Because, because the, the devil's sandbox, in a sense, or the devil's playpen, is your will. You know, he's going to come at you and convince you, oh, you want this? You want that? What do you want? What do you really want for your life? What's the best for your life? But when we're fully submitted to God, when we're fully submitted to what God wants, he always comes first in that question. Even like, where do we see uh, David when this story starts? We actually see him as the grocery boy. The next king of Israel is the grocery boy to his brothers that rejected him. And he submitted to his own father. His father says, hey, go down to the battlefield, take these breads, take these cheeses, and let me know how it's going. So we see that even in David's life, there is this element of submission. And when we live willing to do whatever God asks of us, we can trust that God will see us through any situation because it's not our will, it's His. Number two, honor. Putting God first in our lives. David put God first really. When David stepped onto the battlefield, he says this in verse 26. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, he doesn't even really give Goliath credit in this moment. He doesn't even say his name. He's not denying that there's a problem. But while everybody's eyes are falling on the giant, his capability, his size, his scariness, all of that, where does David David's eyes fall on? David's eyes fall on God. When we set our eyes on God, we set him first in our family, our job, our finances. You know, it begins to diminish the facade that the enemy has control over our lives. I remember one of my favorite stories for when I just got married, Steph and I had just gotten married and I was just starting off in business, being self-employed and so I was working with a friend here in Orlando. We were actually installing an AC unit and he had an AC business, and we were just having some casual conversation while we were working, and he said this to me, and it's always stuck with me, he said this. He said, I just quit worrying one day whether or not God would provide. He said, we had been through, my family and I had been through some low times, we'd been through some high times, and through everything. We had a a roof over our head, we had shelter, we had food, and I just began to realize that, you know, God's word doesn't fail in my life. When he promises you something, when He prom- what his word promises to you, those things cannot fail. God is faithful. And so I, he said, I just began to look at every opportunity as a way to glorify God. You know, David doesn't deny the giant. He doesn't deny the size of the problem. But what he does do is he puts God first. And we, when we decide to do that in our lives, when we allow Uh, that honor, the God to have his rightful place in our lives, those things begin to develop. His promises begin to develop. That faith begins to develop and release the promises of God in our lives. Number three, confidence. You have everything you need. Let's read real quick, verse, starting in verse 37, it says, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. He tried to go in vain, but he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. You know, many of us, I know I'm guilty of this, can be crippled by fear that when we look at ourselves, when we look at our own abilities, we feel like, you know what, I just don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. And, you know, Saul's even trying to do that at this moment. As he evaluates David, he's saying, you know, I don't know if you have what it takes. I think you need some of this and you need some of that. But David was confident that God wanted to use who he was in that moment, not who he was in the past, not who he's gonna be in the future. But David, the young shepherd boy from the mountains, the the one who took care of the sheep, rejected by his brothers, rejected by people on the battlefield. David was confident in God. He was confident in all that God had given him that the battle is not just his. It's not about what he can do, but it's about what God can do. Listen to what it says in 1 John 4, 4. It says, For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's, It's not about us. It's about who lives in us. I love that last thing that David says right before he kills Goliath. He says this, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for it is the Lord's battle and he will give you into our hand. Friends, you already have enough. God just wants to use you. God's not looking for the most competent person, the most handsome person, the most able person. God's looking for people that put their trust in him. You know, if that was the case, he would have chosen one of the other seven brothers. He would have chose one of the handsome ones, the strong ones, or maybe the firstborn. But no, God looks at the heart. He looked at David's heart and he saw something more. He saw someone that would trust him, even in his own lack of ability, even in, in, in how small he was, he knew that he would trust God. You know that leads me really to my my next point, and that's relationship, trust in God. David trusted God. Look what he says when he approaches Saul. He says, "God delivered me from the paw of the lion and the, from the paw of the bear, and He will deliver me from this Philistine." You see, David knew God. He had a history with Him up to that point. Up to this point, he had a, he had a past with God. God had led him into relationship up in those mountains when he faced off against the bear and he faced off against the lion. God delivered him in those moments and he let those small times be a relationship building point that led him into victory into battle against Goliath. You know, it's, it's hard to trust someone if you don't know who they are. It's hard to Know who they're going to be. It's hard to know how they're going to affect your life. It's no, it's hard to know what they're going to do to you. Are they going to help you? Or are they going to hurt you? You know, stranger danger in a way. But I don't know if you've ever been in one of those like trust fall circles, you know, where a group of people surround you and you have to, you know, put your arms across one another and close your eyes and you fall back and you hope that somebody's going to catch you. It's hard to trust that someone is going to catch you if you don't know who they are. I, you know, listen to what uh, Second Peter chapter one three through five says. It says everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the One who invited us to God. When we have a relationship with Christ, that relationship begins to produce peace, even in our own lack of ability, even in the problems, even in the magnitude of the situation, even when you're getting hit on every side. When you have Jesus in your life and you have that relationship that begins to grant you peace because you know that he is fighting your battles for you, that he's the God of miracles. And I love what Robert Murray McShane says. I know some of you have probably heard me quote this before. It says, he says, For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ, live near to Jesus, and all things will appear little to you in comparison with eternal realities. Why is this important? Because, And as we draw close to God, we just begin to emanate the peace that comes out of God. We begin to trust him. As we develop relationship with him, we begin to trust him more and know that God is on our side. Jesus did this so well. I mean, you see him in the garden, you see him in the mountain. What was he doing? He was developing relationship through prayer. He was developing intimacy with God because he knew God was the sustainer of his soul. I love what verse 22 says, when David got down to the battlefield, it says he heard the battle cry and he ran to the battlefield. He left everything and he ran. I think it's hard to run to the battlefield if you first don't know who you're fighting with. But David knew that he was fighting with God. You know, give it time. Don't rush relationship with God. It's one of the best parts of our life is intimacy with the Father. And God, Jesus has given us that. You know, it's, it's through prayer, it's through opening up our hearts, it's through reading the word that we get to know him even more. Number five, arm yourself. After David left, you know, Saul's tent, where, is, where does he go? He goes down to the brook. He doesn't go down to get a snack, he doesn't go down to get some lunch, or hang with the bros, or get some advice from the latest warriors. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't do any of those things. He actually goes straight to the river, straight to the source where he knows he's going to get what he needs friends we need to be going to the river to the presence of god for refreshment for life for ammunition if we're going to the internet if we're going to tv if we're going to facebook and social media none of those things are going to give us life like the presence of god listen to what um, david says in psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 he says what delight comes to the one who follows god's ways he won't walk in step with the wicked nor share the sinner's way nor nor be found in the scorner's seat His pleasure and passion is remaining true to the word of I Am, meditating day and night in true revelation of light. He will be standing firm like the flourishing tree planted by God's design, deeply rooted by the brooks of bliss, bearing fruit in every season of his life. He is never dry, never fainting, ever blessed, ever prosperous. Friends, we need to be spending time in His presence. It's hard to wrestle against our flesh. It's hard to wrestle against the enemy of our soul if we first aren't spending time with the lover of our soul. And I just want to leave you with this closing story about a woman named Florence Chadwick. Uh, She was age 34 when she decided that she was going to swim the channel that divides California and the Catalina Islands. It's 26 miles. So she set out one day, her mom was in a boat and some other people in some other boats had surrounded her and they were making sure she was gonna be saved from sharks or anything that could come. And so she began to swim the channel. And 15 hours in, she began to get discouraged and say, you know what, I just don't know if I can make it. A deep fog had set in over the water and she couldn't see how far she had gone. And her mother began to encourage her, you can make it, you can make it, keep going. But she began to get more and more tired as she swam and she said, you know what? I just don't think I can make it. I'm going to give up. So she got, she got back into the boat, and then she, as they began to paddle back to shore, the clouds began to part, the fog began to clear, and there they realized they were only a few hundred yards away from the shore. Friends, I just want to encourage you today to not give up. Whatever promise that you're believing for, whatever you've set out to do, whatever God's put in your heart for this season, for your life, for your family, for your finances, for your job, I just want to encourage you to keep going, keep pressing in. Maybe today you feel like Florence and it's just, you feel this fog over your life, fog of discouragement, and there's just problems that kind of come at you one after another. Maybe you hear that antagonistic spirit or antagonistic voice from the enemy saying, you know what, you're just not good enough, you're not capable enough. Friends, I want to encourage you to just trust in God in this moment, to put all that you are in Him and believe that God is going to be the victorious one in your battles he's gonna fight your battles for you and as we put our trust in him we will stand victorious if you're feeling that way today i just want to spend some time praying for those that maybe aren't feeling uh, you know the best are feeling discouraged or feeling downcast why don't we just take a moment right now and begin to pray Lord, I just pray that your spirit of encouragement would just begin to be poured out over people today. As they hear this word, as they reflect on their soul and their heart, Lord God, that that you would just begin to nourish them, that you would be the one that as as we surrender, as we honor you, as we submit to you, as we give our lives to you, as we develop relationship with you, Lord God, that you would begin to encourage our lives. For those that are feeling overwhelmed by life's problems, they're discouraged by things that are happening in society right now, I just pray that your spirit, Lord God, would just begin to fill them, to infuse them, to 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 be built into their lives, so their very DNA, Lord God, just like David, that they would recognize, you know what, it's not about my ability, it's not about how big the problem is, it's about how big my God is, and my God is big. He's bigger than anything. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit be over people right now, that your presence would fill them, and for those that need to dedicate their lives to you, Lord God. They need that relationship with you. May they turn their hearts to you in this moment. May they open up their lives and say, Lord, I just need you. You're the center. You're the one for me. You, I want to I be in relationship with you. So I thank you for this day, Lord God. I pray your blessing over everybody, Lord God, and those that hear this word. In your name I pray, amen. Well, guys, thank you for letting me just share some of the things that the Lord has been showing me and encouraging me during this season when things have been so crazy. And if you're in a house church today, I just want to encourage you to pull up a chair, pull up some friends, take this time right now to just share what God is speaking to you through this message or what God's doing in your life. And we're praying you have a great conversation, a blessed week, and we'll see you right back here next time.